We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 172 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, how are you today? You keeping cool, buddy? Yeah, healthy and alive. Uh, staying cool or trying to. It's uh, a whopping 103 uh, here today. So, uh, yeah, it's a little toasty. If it makes you feel any better, I was in temperatures uh, in excess of 190 degrees Fahrenheit about two hours ago. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds like it to be a little bit little bit warm. Just a little warm. It's just a little warm. No, I was in a sauna. I was putting some heat into into my shoulder to kind of loosen it up a little bit. So I needed to go into an extremely hot room, and that was the hottest one they had. So that's where I was. But anyway. Okay. Um, events of the day is what we're going to be discussing today. And uh, you know what? There's not there's not a whole lot. It just, just so happens that we're just kind of... I feel like we're in like a transition period, but we don't know exactly what we're transitioning to, if that makes any sense, as far as like a news cycle. We feel like we should be seeing something today, tomorrow, the next day or whatever, because supposedly you just had this big coup event that took place in Russia. But yet, if you're to look at the uh, the headlines, all is forgiven. Hmm. Something doesn't seem right. I don't know what's going on over there. I can't tell you what's going on. Not even the people that are the, um, you know, the 30, 40 year experts of what is the former Soviet Union and, and the Russian Federation today, they can't even tell you what's going on. A lot of them seem to be baffled as well. They're like, none of this makes any sense. And I mean, we've we've looked at how they perform these disinformation campaigns and, and they take actions to throw us off. And I have no doubt that that's what this is. But throwing us off to what? I don't know. I honestly don't know. There is an author that I mentioned the other day. His name was Yuri Felchensky. He wrote a book called Blowing Up Russia. He also wrote another book called Blowing Up Ukraine that came out a couple of years ago. I have not read it yet. However, in that book, he makes a claim several years ago that there was going to be a rogue group of some kind get a hold of some nuclear weapons in Belarus and launch them. Could this be, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just asking, could this be it? Because Putin has an alibi now, doesn't he? Remember, there's something that Russia and China need to know. They need to know what our response is going to be to a nuclear detonation. They don't know what that is. They know what our response is going to be to a biological attack. We've shown that pretty clearly, haven't we? We did all of nothing in response to that, except destroy our own economies in the process. So Putin now has an alibi. If 
something goes off in Belarus or, in, you know, launched when I say goes off, launches from Belarus into another country. Well, then you've already got the perfect fall guy and Putin's hands are clean. You see, he's the victim, right? He's he's the victim. He's he's the one that's on the defensive. So he's put himself in a position where he doesn't have anything to do with it. I did hear last night and this morning as well. Bruce was talking about uh, the dawn of a digital currency that's set to come in play, I think, in the next two weeks. I said July 11th for some reason. I don't know why that date stuck in my head. But July 11th also happens to be the same day that there will be a NATO summit in Lithuania. If you're China or Russia or some rogue group, I would call that from their standpoint a target-rich environment, wouldn't you? I certainly would. Now, if you, for some reason, were to have a launch of a, a deployment of a nuclear weapon from, say, inside Belarusia, right, Belarus. The acquisition time and the deployment time from there to Lithuania is, we're talking minutes. There's little to no warning, if any at all. I'm not saying this is going to happen, and, and God forbid if it does, but I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to work this out in my head, is all. Because these are claims that are put out by credible people, as in the lead up to it. We've seen the lead up to this, quote, coup attempt. We saw that coming with Prigozhin. We explained it on the last podcast we did. And to the point about Prigozhin, we found out over the uh, the last couple of days here that Putin has a habit of promoting those types of people. You know, the cameraman, the the chef, the caterer, the, you know, the vendor, the, the aide, whatever. He has a habit of promoting those people. That's considered to be one of the fast tracks, if you will. So as it relates to Prigozhin and, and this possible acquiring of a uh, of a nuclear weapon, and it's very complex as far as, as far as like launching one of these things. You can't just steal a nuclear weapon and then launch it. You have to have launch codes. And there are only three people, as far as we know, there are only three people in Russia that actually have the, the codes to those, uh, the launch codes to those weapons. So even if you have a rogue group, they still need the launch codes. Otherwise, it doesn't work. As Bruce said, you got a nuclear paperweight. I mean, technically, they could rebuild it. They would They would have the... Uh, uranium or plutonium, depending on what kind of nuke it is, they would have that and then they could create a new warhead, theoretically, and, and create like a uh, suitcase bomb or, or something on a, you know, a much smaller scale um, device. Basically, the only thing you need to do is smash that nuclear material from all sides at the same time. And that's, uh, you know, that compression is what causes the, the, the splitting of the atom, uh, more or less. Um, it's a chain of events. But so theoretically, they could just dismantle it if, if they were to if this were true and this were a actual, you know, revolt and he's legitimately, you know, uh, stealing a nuclear weapon or something. That, that 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 would be a possibility. However, I don't think they could build the nuclear device within the time frame before this uh, event happens. Also, I, w I would like to uh, point out that if our um, defenses are on alert um, and they were to launch a ballistic missile, we would have it downed before it leaves, like fully leaves the launch pad. Like it would leave launch pad, but it would be like in the air. Uh, and we would have it down before it even leaves atmosphere. If if our defenses are at the ready, especially in the middle of a NATO uh, exercise like that, then again, it's also possible that our apparatus is compromised and we just so happen to have one of those, you know, it, it, so we, we have defenses up in the air 24-7 um, uh, over major, you know, basically over Europe. And it, it it's 
designed to be able to shoot down those ballistic missiles uh, and cause the debris to rain down upon the launch pad or vehicle uh, in this case. So yeah, well, time will tell. Uh, but that's that's definitely something that's a a concern. So Belarus is is constructing this again. This is this has been reported out of the uh, the media. They say that Belarus is constructing a military base for up to eight thousand Wagner troops, about one hundred and twenty five miles north of the Ukraine border. So it's going to be in the southern part of the country. Lukashenko, the Belarusian president, was unambiguous about what he viewed as a, uh, a priceless benefit of having Prigozhin Wagner in his country. He says, they tell us it's about weapons. He says, which worked well, which did not in the case. I, I don't even understand why Lukashenko is getting involved here. I, I don't quite understand this at all. And and I think it plays to the point that you talked about the other day. Why would he go to a former Soviet bloc country? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just go somewhere else? I mean, he is a technically he is a, quote, war criminal, apparently. The operations that they've been carrying out in places like sub-Saharan Africa and things, they've done some questionable things down there of which he is responsible for because it's, quote, his uh, organization. So maybe he wouldn't be very well received in some of these other countries. But again, Putin and Lukashenko are joined at the hip. So why would he go there? Again, this this doesn't make any sense. Now, again, I know that this is a form of disinformation because they do these things on purpose in order to throw us off track because you need the element of surprise. You need the element of deception and secrecy, according to their strategy. But this one, I'm having trouble following it. I mean, I'm really trying to to figure out what's going on here, but I'm, I'm having trouble following this one. Where Where did they say they were making this military base in Belarus? Or did they? 125 miles north of the Ukrainian border. Okay, they, they don't they don't give more of a they specific location. They don't give, no, they don't give an that. exact spot. Well, no, because if you did, then, well, you have a target-rich environment, don't you? So Kiev is right there close to the border of Belarus. It is. And that's that's the thing. You know, I, I kind of I kind of think that they might be trying to open up a northern front. Do you, do you remember that they tried to get the Belarusian soldiers to take part in the initial stages and the military said no? Yeah. And the, the Belarusian generals said no, they weren't going to get involved because they're fellow Slavs as well. They've got friends yeah. and family and, and cousins and aunts and uncles down in there. They're not going to go marching in there and, and kill all their friends and family. Yeah. The thing is, too, looking because I, I pulled up the map of uh, Belarus to kind of give an idea of, uh, you know, uh, where they might position. The The other thing is... Um, so let, let's say they did go close to Kiev, right? The problem is between Belarus and Kiev, if, you, if you're going, let's say, uh, uh, Mazir, I'm guessing is how the name is pronounced. I don't know, but uh, that's along the Pripyat River. The, the problem with that is Chernobyl's in the way. Yes. Chernobyl's right in between there. And they, I don't think they want to go through Chernobyl. So the other thought I had, though, too, is technically 120 miles north of Ukraine. Technically, if you were to do more on the western side, um, like towards Brest, that's right close to Poland. I was going to say that well. you're you're dancing very close to Poland at that point, and you did have the uh, the prime minister or, or whoever Duda or whatever his name is. He said that this stationing of these uh, Wagner troops in Belarus is of great concern to Poland, and I can't say that I disagree with him. Oh. It was announced a couple of days ago, we're going to be building an Abrams repair depot in Poland. So it, it could be this, this whole, this is something I thought about uh, last night or, you know, or this morning, one of the two, you know how you have pillow thoughts, if you will. Um, My mind is going yeah. a thousand miles a minute, Bruce, you know that. And yeah. it's very difficult to get 
my eyes closed at night because usually yeah. I've I've got whatever study I'm working on at that point and I'm like okay I just I, I can't last night for example I had to I, I was reading about Soviet nuclear offensives I was explaining some of this to you when you came in and, and we're just sitting there and we're we're both like I'm reading the sections of this manuscript and this this analysis out to you and we're both looking at each other like we wouldn't do this we yeah. just like the whole concept is just foreign to us. We would not do yeah. something like that. And yeah. so I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm, like that kind of stuff is going through my head while I'm trying to lay down. So, yes, I know exactly what you mean. So one, one of the thoughts I had was, what if this is a ruse to move troops uh, close to uh, something like Poland, as an example, or, or something like that? Not even necessarily to, to uh, get ready for an attack. Uh, not necessarily that, but just a ruse to get Poland to do exactly what it's saying. Yeah, yeah uh, send saying. more NATO because this is this is this is a problem, and it gets more of a um, as as you were pointing out with the uh, the exercise, you get more forces there in one location, and then when you do have the instance of oh, we stole a nuke and they use it. Well, this is a uh, summit. This is targets. not an exercise. To be clear, this is this is a summit. This is where all the the heads of the, brass, the NATO countries. Yeah. yeah, it's where all the brass is going to be in the media and and the rest of these people. But this would this would give them an opportunity to take out a lot of the hardware and troop. If if you know yeah. you, you had more of a like yeah. a, you know moving to Poland and being yeah. so close. Which you we do are, have a very short window to shoot it down. Yeah, and and we are moving a lot of hardware into Poland. We have been for the last six months. Hasn't been yep. widely reported, but I just so happen to be on the ground here. And I can tell you there are train loads full that are going to Poland of Bradleys, of Abrams, all of them. Umbees, I think, is something else you've mentioned uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. So what they're doing, I, I don't know, but I don't like it. Does that make sense? I, I don't like it at all. No, now I, no, I know that no, they're no. basing everything on on surprise and deception and, and secrecy and all that stuff. And I, I don't like this one. This whole thing with Wagner, this whole thing with Purgosian, you know, the hot dog salesman, the whole thing. You know, I say that jokingly, of course. This whole thing just, it stinks. And I don't like it at all because I can't put my finger on it, but I have a feeling that they're about to do something really stupid and they're going to blame it on us because that's just what they do. Oh, and by the way, this whole concept, I'd just like to clear this up. This whole concept of uh, NATO's expanding and NATO's the aggressor and, and NATO's causing this problem and that problem, that has been a hallmark of Soviet military doctrine since NATO's inception. It's always based upon the fact that NATO is the aggressor. They are never the non-aggressor, the Russians. NATO is always the aggressor, always. Under all circumstances, it's littered throughout these these books that I'm reading, and, and it's it's fascinating. I didn't know this, and and I don't know why this is not more widely known. I didn't even know this, and and this is this is amazing from our standpoint. We're having some trouble getting certain pieces of, of research and analysis and, and literature and things because these are locked behind university libraries. I mean, you have to be involved with a university to get access to those libraries. So we're having trouble. We're having to go through intermediaries in order to get access to those libraries. And it's very tough. You have to go through the gatekeepers, if you will, if you need to get some information on some of these things. So we're running into that in one aspect. We're also running into the problem of cost, as in some of these things are really expensive if you want to acquire them. I mean, we looked at one book and it was, um, what, what was it, Bruce? It was $600. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. Who in the world is going to pay that? 
right? I'm not going to pay that, but if I get my hands on it, I'm going to make sure that it's freely available for people to read because keeping the knowledge out of the hands of people like that is wrong any way you slice it. Whether you lock it behind these university walls or if you put the price up so high that the average person can't afford it, that's the same difference to me. However, as much of an anti-Google person as I am, I don't like that company. I don't like what they do. But I found out something very interesting last night, and that is they have an archive of the entire, minus maybe a couple of volumes here and there, but more or less that I could tell, the entire U.S. government printing office for free, as in it costs you nothing. It's on Google Books, as in their actual Google Bookstore. You can go on there and just click get and it doesn't cost you anything. I must have picked up 10 books last night on all this research that we're doing on all these subjects. And you think, OK, well, that stuff is is old and it's out of date. Not if they're still following the same doctrines. If they're still following the same doctrines, as we talked about the other day, they're following it, Putin and company, they're following it from 30 years ago. They're still following the same military doctrines as we've seen from their operations in Ukraine. They're still following the same things that they did in the Second World War. So why would this information be out of date? They're still teaching their soldiers this same doctrine. Now, why is this important? This is important because you, the public, have access to this. You can download these. You don't have them attached to your account. You can go and download them freely if you choose. But I thought that that was great. And I again, I don't like Google, but what they've done here is a good thing. Now, What's interesting is if you start going back and you, you start looking at, at some of these titles and some of these research papers and analyses and things like that from the U.S. government printing office, if you, if you start looking at these, they're put together under like our naval intelligence institutions and uh, our Air Force uh, academies and things like that. If you're to look at all of this stuff, everything from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s until 1991, everything within that time period, post-World War II up until... 1991, 90 to 95% of the analysis and research that were actually produced were on the Soviet Union. And as soon as they collapsed, air quote, collapsed, it's as though we just fell off the edge of a cliff. Everything stopped. Everything changed. There were no more analysis. There were no more opinions. There were no more interpretations. There was no more guidance. Nothing. Because the enemy was taken away. But I have to, and I will, I will cede to this, I have to commend Google for making these publications freely available to the public. I have to commend them for that. So I will give credit where credit is due, because I think that's a great service that they've done. I wonder if that's an unintended consequence of making it freely available to uh, government officials or something like that, making it easy, easily accessible for them, and it's just kind of uh, unintentionally benefited the, the American people at the same time. I don't know, but it's a, it's a strange set of circumstances, isn't it? You have this knowledge, a, a wealth of knowledge that was put together during the Cold War all the way up until 1991 that's free, that's available worldwide for anybody to go and look. You can you can go and you can look at it yourself on any device and or, or on your computer or whatever. You can download the, the actual hard file and you can keep it yourself. And that doesn't cost you anything. Then you have the other aspect of it, right? You have the, the aspects where you've got some publications and some reports and analysis that are so overpriced that you can't afford them. And then you have the aspect of being locked behind a university wall. 
so it's a strange set of circumstances. You've got a lot of information that's freely available, but you also have other things that you need to know to connect with that research that are listed in other th- publications and other reports and uh, analysis that you need in order to corroborate everything else. Because you can't you can't just go for one source. You can't do that. I mean, if you're onto something, then you have to grab five or six different publications or reports on something, and then by different authors and, and different reviewers and, and things like that. And then you need to start making cross connections on those. Once you start making the cross connections in there of independent sources, once you start doing that, then you know you can you can start to compile yourself a, a working theory. So that requires a lot of effort. But again, it's it's a strange set of circumstances. Nonetheless, the information that's in there, I think is invaluable. I, I really do. I, th- I think it's invaluable. And I, like I said, I, I picked up about 10 books last night all by uh, different authors and different analytical experts and things on this subject and uh, nuclear tactics and things. And you know some of the other books that, that I've got in that we're adding to this, uh, and they complement that. These are books that are not digitally available. Uh, but as far as everything else, like I said, it's it's freely available. And it's um, that's a great thing that, that Google have done. Uh, so I have to give them credit for that. Anything else on the, uh, uh, the Russia thing? You look like you're deep in thought over there. Yeah, I was just kind of reading through some stuff. Uh, as far as the whole Russia thing, it's... I just I honestly with the reporting, if you're to look at the reporting and you don't know uh, some of the history of Russia and, and the Soviet Union, you would conclude that um, there's something going on in Ukraine and what it is, you don't know exactly. That's kind of where we're at with the Russia situation. We have an idea what's going on and some of the things that they might be pushing forward. But in reality, when it comes down to it, we're kind of taking an educated guess as to what what's going on uh, because the information that's coming out of there is not exactly factual. Bruce, are you saying that they deliberately mislead people in the West as to what their true intentions are? Are you saying they don't have a free and open press? Is that what you're saying? Uh, not only that, but also the West is also creating a massive disinformation campaign. So it's, it's difficult to really see what's going on, especially when it comes to Ukraine and the, the war that's going on there. It's really because you have uh, in one side, you're saying one side saying they're beating uh, the other side. Of course, that's what propaganda is going to say either direction, of course. But then there is actually no true facts in the matter. I mean, there is gobs of footage out there that show Russia winning and there's gobs of footage showing Ukraine winning. So it, it it's really difficult to tell what's going on down there. But what the intention of Putin is right now, what they're what they're trying, you know, is it are they going to use nukes? Do they have the the stones to use nukes now right now? Um, do they think they're going to get away with it because of a reaction to covid? Hell, some of the stuff we were talking about uh, in prep, uh, their their insane idea of military tactics after launching nukes. Literally, they're they're using the nukes to basically open up the front lines or open up new avenues of attack and then literally sending troops in the middle of the radioactive zone to fight. That is so utterly absurd that... Okay, so to clarify, I could see that scenario if you're using a tactical nuke that has a very, very low uh, radioactive yield, like it has low radiation. I could see that. The problem is after we dropped the atomic bombs, uh, we had there. there's all kinds of reports and everything of uh, Japanese people that were the radiation burns. They had the radiation sickness and all of that just from the atomic bombs. 
which are much lower yield than what our nuclear bombs are today. So I, I just find it difficult to believe that you would have a standing army now in this day and age that understands nuclear fallout and, and the side effects thereof would be willing to go in and fight in the middle of that. Even, even with crazy Marxists, I, I, I just, there's well, very tell you. few people that I think would actually do that. Yeah. And they, they tell you in there that one of their hallmarks is it's littered throughout Soviet military doctrine is heroic self-sacrifice. And that seems so foreign, though, when it when you look at the Russian, like when you look at World War Two and the tactics they had about self-sacrifice. No, it wasn't. It wasn't self-sacrifice. It was literally the brass telling you go there and die. I mean, millions of soldiers died because of the ineptitude of uh, their their tactics. And it, it, it's it. I think this is the same thing. It's ineptitude. It's not you're going to go in and exploit that. You're going to you're going to send those troops there. They're going to start dying off because of radiation sickness and radiation poisoning. And you're not going to have a battle. You're not going to have a fight. You're going to have people that are going to start deserting and, you know, trying to find medical treatment so they can survive. Well, that's one of the key aspects right there is survivability. And you have to figure out how to do this in ways of getting your troops through. So you want to strike the target in terms of, of how they define things. You want to strike the target. You want to get your guys through there as quickly as possible to secure the main objective and wipe out any defenses that are remaining. That's the concept here. And then you hold that territory, you capture and hold that territory. And that's that's what they're banking on is is that right there. But they know that they're going to have to, to cross that and so, yes, to your point, though, that is uh, based on tactical nuclear deployments, not the full blown end of days atomic bomb being dropped. Yeah, the, the czar bomb or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah nothing yeah, like that. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's just but the, the thing is, is that's the kind of military tactics that the Russians have, which and might I, also explain why they're having so many losses in Ukraine as well. Yeah, well, I think that has to do with the differences I was explaining to you about the front line and the broken front lines uh, mm -hmm. or broken fronts or whatever it is. They're, they're trained to fight on something that is not even what we would consider to be an organized front line. So yeah. it's just everybody's operating independently. I don't know how they make sense of that. Maybe I just need to read more into it. But I would possibly... I would bet that the Chinese are basing their operations on the same thing. We haven't seen China in action yet, the People's Liberation Army. We haven't seen them in action yet. We've seen the the modern Russian military in action in Ukraine, obviously, um, or, you know, bits and pieces of it or, or whatever, what we've been able to see. But we haven't seen the Chinese in an actual conflict yet. Yes, there is the, the situation that took place in the Kashmir and uh, the Punjab. Uh, they went into the Punjab. Uh, they invaded the section up there uh, on the border with India, and the Indians thumped them because the Chinese just can't fight at fifteen thousand feet. I mean, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> that's pretty difficult. Um, yeah. So they went in there and they got they got a, a good beating, and then right after that, Hong Kong happened. So yeah, they needed a distraction from that. Uh, but we haven't actually seen them in any large scale conflict, you know, regional conflicts just yet. But I have a feeling that we're going to at some point. Oh yeah. I, I, I think that's coming uh, pretty soon, actually. Uh, in fact, kind of on this, uh, let me see if I can find what that name was. There's apparently some kind of, now this is theological, religious, whatever. Uh, so, you know, bear with me a moment. But there was a, I had never heard about this, Gar uh, Garabando? Uh, I'm probably skewing the pronunciation, but it has to do with 
Uh, let's see here. The, da, 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 da. It, the the messages or warnings or whatever from the uh, Our Blessed Mother events kind of a thing, you know, the where they had the apparition or or spirit or angel or whatever your your uh, description of it is. Basically, one of the precursors to the end of days or the end times, as Revelation talks about, is the Pope visiting Russia or specifically Moscow. Does this have to do with the uh, uh, Our Lady Fatima thing? Yes. Yes, exactly okay. that. The can you give us the mother can, thing? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give yeah. a brief backstory on that so people understand? You were explaining it uh, to me when I was reading it in a book, and you were kind of clarifying some things that weren't in the book. Basically, uh, and I'm going off of memory. The it was um, some kids that had seen a uh, manifestation of some kind. Whether we don't know whether it was religious uh, or, or good or bad spirit. We don't know if it was an angel or a demon, or we don't know. We, we don't know. Um, but there was a bunch of prophecies that were given, um, you know, predicting uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, some other events and whatnot. And those prophecies were basically written down, and uh, a lot of them had to do with things like, uh, so Soviet Russia and its its turning uh, to Soviet. So this is before World War Two. The Pope was supposed to do something specifically like a dedication or like a repentance or something kind of as a stand-in for Russia. Was that a consecration or something? Kind of kind of something, yeah, like a consecration, kind of something like that. And none of the popes ever did it. And the prediction was if they don't do that, Russia is going to be a pain in the ass in the future. And lo and behold, that proved to be true. Um, but a, a part of this prophecy, part of it is now because they didn't do this and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a lot of details and stuff to it that I don't have because those prophecies are locked away in the Vatican's uh, library or whatever. So you, you don't, you don't get, or the Pope's library or whatever they call it. But anyway, all that to say, we know basics of it and, um, the, the current possible scenario because they have some cardinals in talks with Russia right now. There's some uh, cardinals that are trying to do, uh, let's see, uh, I'm, I'm trying to blah, 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 messaging. Uh, yeah. So they, they have a cardinal down there. I think they're trying to do like peace talks or something to try to stifle the whole Ukraine, Russia thing, uh, I think is what it was. But anyway, whatever the case. This is supposed to be, if the Pope visits uh, Moscow, it's supposed to be a precursor to all hell breaking loose. And uh, to put it into in times uh, scenarios, if that is true, and it ends up being like a precursor to in time stuff, uh, you will see China's, the uh, that army, engage in battle pretty quickly. So what does that mean for now? Uh, be ready. <laughs> <laughs> because it just means be be prepared. Be yeah, yeah. We, that's yeah. the thing, though. We should always be on uh, a constant state of alert, ready for a response. And that's that's actually what they what they count on. Uh, that's what they teach in their in their doctrine is is that we're always on response, ready for something. But of course, you know, we're we're the aggressor. You see, so it's, it's always that. It's it in their terms, right? In in their ideology, in in their standpoint, in their doctrines, militarily. And politically and ideologically, it's always the West that's on the aggression side of things. Anything that they do 
in the Far East, they're allowed to do because their doctrines and, and their ideology gives them justification to do those things. So anytime that we make a move, it's considered aggression and it's promoted as such, not just by their talking heads and their mouthpieces over there in the Far East, Russia and China, but by our compromised institutions as well, our infiltrated transmission belts and the people they have working for them here as well. So it's very important to understand that. And this is the most agonizing thing. And I, I've said this time and again, the most agonizing thing is, is this, this pickup by people on the so-called uh, alternative or the right side of things, you know, as in the, like the ideological right side of things here in the West, they're picking up these talking points that are coming out of Russia and China and they're running with them. And it's, it's aggravating. And I, I have to, I have to admit fault. I'll admit fault. I've been duped a time or two by some of their propaganda because it's good propaganda, but I'm willing to admit when I've made a mistake. So here's the thing, you know, the thing, how is it that people in the alternative air quote, alternative media, how is it that they can talk out of both sides of their mouth on this agenda and people still follow them? I haven't figured that part out yet. That part is perplexing to me. They say, they will say, and I did hear them say over the weekend, oh, this whole thing with, with Wagner and this whole thing with Purgosian, that's so fake. But yet they're cheering Putin at the same time. Two hours later, they're saying that Putin is a counterbalance to the World Economic Forum. Excuse me? Mr. Putin is aligned with communist Cuba. He just hosted the dictator himself in Moscow. They did a big report on it. Bruce, you remember the, um, the calm streets and the happy people? Do you remember all yeah. that? We see yeah. the calm streets and the happy people. Mm. They're aligned with Venezuela. They're aligned with communist China, with North Korea. There is a Russian warship that just docked in Iran today, this afternoon. They had a big celebration. There was a big thing all over uh, Iranian state TV. Of course, you would never see that. But he's a counterbalance to the World Economic Forum? No, 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 no. No. In 2017, Putin went on stage. Bruce, we watched the video. Putin went on stage at the Festival of Youth and Students in Sochi and said to that crowd of youth and students wearing the Che Guevara shirts and the Lenin shirts and everything else, the future is yours. Go and take it. We're with you. He said that in English, by the way. He speaks pretty good English for a Russian, I have to admit. That same festival of youth and students was held this past year in China. And guess who gave almost the same exact speech at that event. Bruce, you want to take a guess? Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab. How did you know? Was that just a guess? It was Klaus uh, Schwab. Yeah, it legit was just a guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Counterbalance. I don't think so. I don't think so. Remember, the end game here, the end game in the literature, all the, the defector literature we're reading, the end game here is convergence of East and West on the East's terms, not ours on theirs. So how can we talk out of both sides of our mouths if we're on the, the so-called alternative here? How's that possible? I mean, I, I'm calling a spade a spade here. I, I'm sorry. They're allied with all these communist countries. How can you deny that? How can you, can you say that there's a counterbalance to what Schwab and company are doing? That's a communist front. Look at everything that they promote. You'll own nothing. You'll be happy about it. There will be a, a, a multipolar division of, of shared power throughout the world. That's what they've been promoting since the Cold War in the East. You're going to have stakeholder capitalism, not shareholder capitalism. All of this is based off of Marxist theology and Marxist doctrines. All of this. Because, I mean, we're, we're sitting there, we're looking at it. 
when all of this was was starting to to take place in uh, Klaus Schwab and company in the, the World Economic Forum, and I'd been watching them since I think 2012. It was just a, it was a public televised thing. It was on like the financial networks and stuff. It was all over the TVs here. I'd been watching them for a number of years. And then when I saw them come out and they started to take more of a prominent role during all this, I thought, wait a minute, you know, because I, I've never really read any of their papers or anything like that. I've just kind of watched their televised things and and I never really liked it then anyway. But it was usually just the George Soros types and the Kissingers and and Gates and these guys, you know, the philanthrop so-called philanthropists. They would go down there to this thing and it would be televised and all the CEOs and everything. They'd make a big deal out of it. And then everybody would go home and nobody would hear anything from them for another year. But when they started to take a prominent role in all this, I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, this, this all sounds like cultural Marxism. All this stuff sounds like like communism. And then if you look at the defector literature, if you go back to that, and you start reading what a lot of these guys were, were talking about, were warning about. They defected to us to tell us these things. It makes sense. The collapse of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall. It all makes sense. The, the decade of, of terror reigning across the United States and, and Europe, the creation of the terror networks all throughout the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa, the organized crime acquisition, the takeover of the international drug market and manufacturing, all of it makes sense. If you look at it in terms of where we are now and you apply that lens to it, if you look at the long range policy that was devised in the early 50s, agreed to by the 81 party Congress in 1958 to 1960 in the Soviet Union, long-range policy to take us down. Convergence of East and West on the East's terms. It's a slow bleed. They had to wear us down. They had to throw us off. They had to reverse infiltrate our institutions. And that's what they've done to a great extent. I don't believe that we're truly behind the eight ball just yet, but we're getting damn close. And as Bruce said about the, uh, the submarine that went down to see the Titanic, that's too close for comfort. I don't like that. Not one bit. I, I would throw out um, the alternate right that you were talking about that are that are speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, I would point out that um, those people are either controlled opposition or they're just grifters. That, that, that's the only two that I can see out of that. has to be. Because I was telling you when we were conversing last night, I said, it's not that hard. This is, like, this is not that hard. It's really not. If two guys that are just sitting around can come up with this and can devise these theories and, and can can pull this research from all these different places. If just two Joe Blow nobodies, if we can do this, why can't they? They've got big sponsorships. They've got research teams. They've got production staff. They've got writers. I, I would kill for even a tenth of any of that to do what we want to do around here. And they don't tell you any of this. I don't understand it. Honestly, it might be so... I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. And some of these some of these groups are legitimately good and are legitimately trying to, to find the truth. Yeah, but there are some. True. Yeah. The, I, but I think those those might be stuck in a they're, they're, they're stuck in kind of a rut of we have to be relevant in the sense of they have to find stories that the listener will show interest in or be interested in. And they also have to tell the truth at the same time, you know, find, find the, the, the facts. So it may, it may just boil down to the people, the researchers they do have hired, they're, they're focusing more on current events and those types of things and less on how we got here. Uh, because I don't think the listener is really the, the average person when I, when I, when I say listener uh, of those organizations, I don't know that they really care 
how we got here uh, as much as they care about what can I do now to try to get us out of this. Even based off of that. So if you look at it in, in those terms that you just said, you still have to understand where we've been and what got us here in order to fix this. There is a way out of this. There is a way out of this. And there is a peaceful way out of this. And I hope that that's the option that we can end up taking here. But in order for us to take that option, and well, I guess to, to kind of pretext that, in order for us to have the opportunity to take that option, we have to understand how we ended up here to begin with. If we don't do that, then I don't see a peaceful solution in any of this. And we have to try and do this as peacefully as possible if we're going to fix it. And it can be done. But we've got to have at the very initial stages, just as as an icebreaker, if you will, we've got to have acknowledgement first and foremost before we do anything else. That is the prerequisite that takes precedent over all other things. You've got to acknowledge what has actually happened here. If we don't do that, then I shudder to think of where we're going to be. Do you have anything else? Uh, you know, uh, to kind of bring it around to the um, home front uh, briefly, the news media is currently sweeping under the rug, carrying the water for whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Bidens uh, and this whole uh, investigation into Hunter's um, well, illegal dealings, but the, the problem is, is that they're not investigating the uh, illegal dealings. They're investigating the, uh, what was it, the firearm he threw away, and uh, there was something else that they were in investigating that was basically nothing. Um, in fact, um, there was a whistleblower that has basically confirmed that it is, uh, well, unfortunate, really, but the justice system was restricted. Uh, the FBI specifically in what they were allowed to investigate uh, when it came to Hunter Biden. They they were they were given a, a set of parameters. So I, I, I honestly, this is um, this is all just for show. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be a slap on the wrist. I, I think I, I told you off recording that he's going to basically because of the plea deal he has, um, he's going to have no prison time. He's going to pay a fine, something like eight thousand dollars or something like that. Eight grand. You're yeah. kidding me. Some, That's a parking something ticket. like that. Yeah. That's a parking yeah. ticket. And he's going to be shacked up at some multi-million dollar complex in Malibu. Yep. And he's he's going to go to some rehab or something, whatever. And once he gets done with that, he's going to be allowed to have firearms again while they're taking away our firearms at the same time. So yeah, there you go. That that that's um our justice system at work. I'm surprised that the FBI even bothered to look into it, to be honest with you. I think they're I, honestly, just doing it out of uh, a, like they have some kind of obligatory thing that they just have to do, as in they have to make it appear like they're actually doing something. And so they pick the most, forgive me, our English contributors, they pick the most benign thing that they could go after. And that's what they did. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is, too, is there's there's also a possibility that by doing this, they can say, See, look, we're going after our own. See, we're, we're taking care of our own. You need to, Republicans, you need to take care of yours. And so when they go after Donald Trump, uh, which they're currently doing, they'll be justified in their minds and in the minds of their constituents uh, to go after him. Which, by the way, uh, also partly to note, since bringing up Donald Trump, next year, the caucuses, the Iowa caucuses start January of next year. Uh, they're looking at moving that time frame up to as early as they can, like January 5th. 
is what the the rumor is. Why not also, do it on the sixth? Yeah, right. Uh, that that's that's what I thought too. But they're pushing the time frame forward. Interestingly, uh, Trump is also supposed to be in legal proceedings during that time because of all these lawsuits um, that's being put against him. So yes, he will told not me, be able to. Yeah, you told me about the uh, the classified information this time around that they. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, the class, the, you know, the the highly classified material. W- would you like to tell the listeners what that highly classified document entailed? Yeah, so this this pertains to the CNN uh, leaked uh, audio tape that. Um, I'm sorry, you're under a grand jury investigation and you're leaking information. Isn't isn't that a felony? We'd never see the light of day. It, if no. something like that happened. No. Uh, this videotape, he, or, or videotape, audio tape, it's just audio. There is no video. He's um, described as uh, holding up documents that are labeled confidential or highly classified or top secret or something. But I'm pretty sure it was confidential or very confidential is what it said on there. Yeah, CNN was saying these are some of the classified documents that he that he took from the White House. Uh, Trump says it was bravado. Those were classified or confidential golf course plans golf course and honestly that is if that isn't if that isn't trump that's trump something that he would do yeah anyway i I just found that hilarious to be building and and hosting one of these uh these live golf tournaments yeah it would have to be highly whatever (laughs) for trump that's what he would do yeah yeah he, he would definitely anyway i just found that hilarious that they're going apoplectic over this and it was literally business papers, business plans. Uh, I found that hilarious. God, the media, they're so pathetic. You know, I'm not I'm not going to slander anybody in particular because that's just not the kind of person I am. But the networks, man, they are just they're a disgrace. The US, the EU, the UK, like all these these mainstream media networks, they are a disgrace to everything that they once represented. Yeah, they really are. It, it, it's it's really sad to see. But uh, yeah, uh, keep your eye out. Uh, there was apparently uh, that whistleblower uh, report I was talking about was in the New York Times. The thing is, is they buried that on like page 20 or something like that. They they buried that way down in there. Uh, you had to really dig to find it. And it, it's being reported. It's just they're hiding it. Of course they are. I would expect nothing less out of the mainstream media. All right, my friend, we're going to go ahead and jump out of here. So I'd like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great evening.